are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, the Daily Missouri. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about the church, you can reach us at www.bethelassembly.info. I'm excited about today. We are continuing in a series that we started about four weeks ago, a series that we're simply calling Baggage, Live Free, Travel Light. Have you ever noticed that in life, we end up carrying around a lot of baggage? Anybody else in the house, you experience baggage. We've been talking about some of those things. Week one, we talked about people. Did you know that people can become baggage upon your life? You continue to feed into that relationship. You continue to feed into that struggle and that conflict. And suddenly this baggage, the expectations of what you think that they think you should be and what you should accomplish because that's what they think of you. And you've got all these things that's piling more and more upon your shoulders and you just don't know what to do with it. That becomes baggage in your life. In this series, we're going to cover a myriad of topics. Next week, we're going to talk about addiction. And some of you quickly, man, you'll think, man, I'm not addicted. Well, let me ask. Maybe it's not alcohol. Maybe it's not drugs. But what about work? What about your hobbies? What about TV? What about social media? Did you know that we can become addicted to so many things that distract us from what God would have for our lives? We're going to wrap up this series in a couple of weeks talking about religion. I I believe there are several people that grew up in in a church or under leadership that has made religion the focus rather than relationship. And I believe because of that, we've missed the mark and we, we misunderstand what the Bible is really all about. We misunderstand what God has in store for us. But this morning, I want to talk to you about my prescription for depression. Now, I've heard many Christians say over the years, well, pastor, as a Christian, you just cannot be depressed. Because if you're depressed, then you're not really trusting God. Well, let me just kind of speak my thoughts on that. That's not true. Because numerous times in the Bible, we find demonstration and illustration of men and women that were depressed. We find Job. He had lost everything. Everything was coming against him. He ended up boils upon his body. His wife even looked at him and said, curse God and die. His best friend said, surely, Job, you're doing something wrong. And Job found himself going through a myriad of emotions, including depression. We find Elijah. He had just seen one of the greatest miracles. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the altar, the water, the sacrifice, everything around. He saw this amazing sacrifice, an amazing outpouring of God's presence. But then he finds himself running from this woman and he found himself in depression. I'm not saying that women cause depression, but in this case, that might have been the issue. And then we find King Saul. King Saul finds himself in depression. David, over and over in the book of Psalms, finds himself going through depression. So what do we do with this idea of depression? Is it something that's really applicable for today? Or should we simply ignore it and and hope it goes away? Surely if I push it down long enough, surely if I put these blinders on and say it's not there, I'm not depressed, I'm not depressed, I'm not depressed, surely if I say that enough, I'm going to convince myself and I'm going to be okay. 
I don't believe that's how it works. Let me put a little disclaimer on this morning's message. I don't claim to be a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist, a sociologist, a counselor, or any authority on the topic of depression. But I simply want to share with you some things that we've discovered in the Word of God. Did you know that every word in this Bible is applicable for today? Every promise in this book is mine. Everything that it states is for me today. It's for you today. It can be applied to our lives. But maybe you found yourself a little bit like Job. In Job chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, listen to what he says. He says, if my misery could be weighed and my troubles be put on the scales, they would outweigh all the sands of the sea. Have you felt that way? I've got so much baggage. So many things that are bombarding my life. So many things that I'm facing. If you could just measure the misery in my life. If you could just measure all the trouble in my life. If you could just put it on that scale. I am certain today. I'm convinced today that it would outweigh all the sands of the sea. But then he goes on to say this. Oh, that I might have my request. That God would grant me my desire. I wish he would crush me. All this weight, all of this baggage, all of these things are bombarding me over and over. I'm not really sure I can go on if God would just grant my request. If he would just answer my prayer. I pray that God would crush me. I wish he would reach out his hand and kill me. Then it would be all over, right? No. Maybe you've been there before. Life has just thrown way too much too quickly in your path. You don't think you can go on anymore. Depression is set in. Your life as you know it seems absolutely hopeless. You just want to give up. The baggage gets heavier and heavier and heavier. Maybe that's where you found yourself today. If so, I want you to listen very carefully to today's message. Maybe you're sitting here in this beautiful auditorium this morning. Maybe you're watching from the comfort of your living room today. I believe that God wants to speak release into your lives. The Bible says that he who the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. indeed. We believe God for a lot of things. We believe God when we're sick. We begin to pray that God would make us well. Maybe you were praying as you were leaving your house this morning. I pray that God would get me safely to the church. But there are times in our lives that we just say, I wish God would just kill me now. I'm done. I can't face this anymore. I don't know that I can go on with this any longer. I want you to listen very carefully because I believe that God wants to speak directly into your life today. Now this morning, we're going to dig into God's Word. We're going to look at what God's Word has to say about depression. But before I do that, I want to take just a moment and I want to look at the everyday side of depression. 
What does that look like Sunday through Saturday? What's it look like on a daily routine? Now, I want to invite a good friend of mine. I I don't have the answer. I'm not smart enough to know the answer to this portion of things. So I want to invite a, a good friend of mine, Jan Sproles. Now, as a church, we have partnered with Jan for the last several years. I've been here about five and a half years, and, and Jan's been with us. I've been coming in and helping us out with things. We've been sending people to her for the last several years. But let me give you her credentials. This shows you how smart Jan is. She has been a certified Christian counselor for seven years. She's a counselor in training who in just three months, you're going to hold a master's degree in clinical counseling. Yes? Yes. So like I said, we have sent numerous people to Jan over the last several years. Anytime that I have an individual or a family, and maybe some of you in the house today are listening online, uh, you have seen Jan in her office. And she has done a tremendous job. Because here's what I love about sending people to Jan. Not only does she counsel them, but she is a wonderful Christian lady. So she is a biblical counselor. Can I put a disclaimer out there? I know this is being recorded, but there are some kooks out there. Don't answer that. Don't respond to that. But there are some kooks out there. Jan is not one of them. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. How's that for an introduction? (laughs) That's probably the greatest introduction you've ever gotten. You are not a kook. So you are not a kook, and we welcome Jan Sproles to the stage this morning. Can you give Jan a round of applause? (laughs) Thank you. Amen. All right, so here we are on this cold winter wonderland Sunday morning, yes. talking about a very encouraging, lovely topic of depression. depression. So answer this question for me. How prevalent is depression among adults, adolescents, and even children? We believe that um, depression affects about 6.7% of the population at any given time, which estimates to about 21 million people at any wow. given time. That's a lot of people that are depressed. Um, about 4.3% of them are, are severely depressed, which means that they are debilitated, that they are having issues in depression that mean they can't live their daily life. Um, as far as children are concerned, those are a little harder to quantify, but we are seeing depression increasingly in children and especially increasingly in adolescents. And that is alarming for the um, mental health community because um, sometimes they don't get treated as readily as adults do because adults make their own decisions to come into counseling, whereas teenagers and children are at the mercy of their parents who, if they don't understand what they're seeing, may uh, misdiagnose it as just, you know, some kind of normal childhood problem or before it gets really, really severe. What do you think is causing the upswing in depression on the younger children? Um, We believe with adolescents, um, well, causation is not necessarily correlation, but uh, in 2011 we saw an uptick in depression and anxiety among adolescents about the same time that the iPhone 4 was released, which has a lot to do with social media and we believe smartphones. Now, not that kids have not been depressed before, but we're finding that um, there's a lot more opportunity for comparison. Uh, Online bullying is at an all-time high. I also teach at the junior high school. I'm a music teacher there, and it's a constant problem. Now, whether or not that is the cause, again, we're not sure. I believe that we are living in perilous times anyway. I believe that as we near the end of all things, that we are going to see an increase in mental health disorders because people are consistently trying to get joy and peace in life without Jesus Christ, which is um, an exercise in futility. But I believe our teenagers have a lot of reason to be depressed, and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, just the constant images and things that they see, and they feel like their lives do not add up, or like I said, a lot of um, just a lot of 
a lot of things that go along with these addictions to our smartphones that are causing some problems. But again, we're not sure about that. We just know that mm -hmm. since 2011, it has increased exponentially, not just a little, but exponentially, and that's very alarming. So Apple is the cause of, of depression. I'm not saying that. <laughs> don't quote me. On right, that. don't quote. No, but we have read studies about it, and that's what we're looking at. Well, it really probably stems from a, an idea of a false reality because Definitely. in social media, we live in a false world. Yes. Everything is, let me see how many times I can get the right picture so I can send you the right picture so that I, the shadowing is just right or the light is just right, right. and then I'll be looking perfect. Right, the power of the like, that's what we call it. Right. How likable am I? Because they're measuring their self-esteem through social media, which is a huge mistake, but they're teenagers and children. They don't understand that that's not necessarily, you know, that's not self-esteem. That's Absolutely. just, you know, popularity. So. so we talked about adults, adolescents, and children. Yes. Let's get a little more personal with this crowd that's here. Is depression even possible for the Christian? Oh, definitely. And I think the scriptural evidence that you sh uh, indicated to us is um, comforting because so many Christians do suffer with depression and they sometimes don't get positive messages from their friends or their families who, again, say, if you love Jesus, you wouldn't be depressed. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, if we know that our Savior was a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief, I'm not saying that he was depressed, but he understood sadness. And I feel like the, the psalmist David cried out continuously, you know, my hope is in you, even though my heart is so disquieted and I'm so sad and I feel like you've left us. I mean, so many times with depression in Christians, the biggest thing I see is they look at me and say, where's God? Where did God go? Why do I feel this way? And so a lot of times with Christians, there's this huge guilt along with the depression that causes them to suffer, I think, even more greatly because they feel like they should not be depressed. You know, if I could just read my Bible more or pray more, this would not be happening. I just do not believe that's true. I think that depression is a problem for the population. Um, and I do think that Christians, although have an advantage because we do know Christ Jesus, and because he is uh, the healer. But I think that we have to understand just the natural progression of depression too. It, can Jesus Christ heal you today of depression on this altar? Yes. Do not misunderstand me. He can. Does he always? No. Sometimes it's part of the process of walking with him through that dark season of your life. You've talked about depression and how some people, for them, it's debilitating. So is there a difference between depression and just extreme sadness? Yes. Um, you're talking about grief. Uh, grief can happen to anybody. And you lose a, a loved one, you lose a job. There's a divorce. There's a change in your life you cannot control. That can cause extreme sadness. And a lot of people come to counseling with extreme sadness, and we don't diagnose them with uh, depression because we understand this is circumstantial. But depression is different in that it, like I said, is more pervasive. It does not have an end point. Um, there are things that accompany depression that don't accompany extreme sadness. And I actually brought something today. It's kind of like a cheat sheet, but sometimes when you go to the counselor, they might give you one of these. It's the Beck Depression Inventory. And a doctor by the name of Beck decided that there were some criteria to decide whether you had extreme sadness or you were depressed. So extreme sadness is one thing that we look for, but we also look for pessimistic attitude. Nothing is ever going to get better. Uh, we also look for past failures if you ruminate on them. You know, I failed so much in the past, I'm never going to succeed. You know, it's like the self-esteem problem, that self-dislike. We hear this with teenagers, I hate myself. I hate who I am. I hate how I look. Um, and it gets really debilitating as they become more and more withdrawn because of that. Also, being critical of yourself. You know, I hear people call themselves names. Why are you so stupid? 
Why do you keep doing this all the time? Um, suicidal thoughts, this is where we get into, I think, extremely dangerous territory where people actually begin to be like, Joe, just kill me. I mean, he wasn't going to take his life. He just wanted God to take his life. But he was starting to, to think about suicide. And some people will think, I just wish I were dead. You know, I wish things would end. But other people start planning how to do it. Well, I'm going to kill myself this way or I'm going to. And those thoughts are getting very dangerous. And it's a warning sign to parents, teachers, counselors, pastors, Anytime that you work with people and you hear those words out of their mouth, that they need to get help immediately. Because to me, one of the things we have to understand about depression is that whether or not it was caused by something external or internal, Satan loves depression. Because depression means he can take you just as far down as you can go. And his desire for you is found in John 10, 10. Steal, kill, destroy. That's right. If he can use depression to do it, he will. So when I hear anybody say to me, I don't want to live anymore. I feel like I can't do this another day. That is like instantly, you know, my senses become very aware and focused, and I'm like asking them very important questions. Because suicide uh, sometimes, not always, follows a very depressed episode. And so we have to be mindful of that. But also there's this, the one that is so interesting is a loss of interest. The things that used to make you happy don't make you happy anymore. You don't want to go hang out with your friends. And teenagers, this is huge because teenagers typically withdraw from parents and they start hiding in their room. You know what I'm talking about? But teenagers don't typically withdraw from all their friends. When they begin to withdraw from their friends, warning, what's going on? Why aren't you talking to your buddy anymore? Why don't you want to come out of your room and hang out with, you know, a friend that wants to come visit? Why aren't you talking to people? So that social withdrawal or not enjoying the things that you used to enjoy is also a big indicator that instead of just sad, you've kind of gone into depression. Okay, so you've talked a few of the signs of depression in teenagers. What about adults? Um, adults is the same thing, loss of interest. There also can be some, on, some other physical symptoms is hypersomnia or insomnia. They can't sleep anymore. Um, they start gaining weight or losing weight for no apparent reason. Um, the loss of interest in things, loss of motivation. I had a client come see me a couple of years ago, and they just would go to work, but they'd come home and not get off the couch till the next day. So they, like, just laid and the family's the one that said, what is wrong with you? And they're like, I don't know. I just don't want to get up. I don't have any energy. And what you see is sometimes, you know, you're still doing your regular things, but you can't do the extra. But some people stop going to work. Some people can't. You know, if you're a housewife, like I was for years, you're not cleaning your house. Okay? Sometimes I've walked into people's homes in ministry situations and thought to myself, oh, honey, you're depressed. Your house. Hadn't picked it up in weeks. And to me, it's just an indication they don't want to do it. You know, I, I didn't ever say, oh, you're a bad housekeeper. I knew what was going on. They didn't want to do it. Their desire to take care of their family, to watch their kids and things that are normal for us, they just could not do it. And so I recognize that a lot of times um, it's just not doing the things that you should do. And it gets to the point where you're debilitated. Like instead of just not wanting to go to work, you're calling in consistently and then you could lose your job or kids don't want to go to school or their grades that used to be higher fall and that can be for adults too if you're you know in college or in grad school that suddenly you just can't do the things that you were doing before that you were pretty good at you just kind of let them slide and don't care now you shared something interesting with me earlier the week when we got together Um, the signs for a person as an adolescent or a an adult is different than that of a child Yes. What does depression look like in a child? Well, in children, you're still going to have some of the insomnia. You're still going to have the weight gain or loss, the not wanting to eat, not wanting to do things they used to enjoy. But little children, instead of acting sad, sometimes are irritable. They just are irritated, and they have a lot of energy. 
but or no energy. It just depends on you know the child themselves. But a lot of times with children and, and even adolescents, you're not going to see sadness, pervasive sadness like you do sometimes in adults. You're going to see irritability. They just don't want to be bothered. They're very irritated. We have kids at school that, I mean, and it's not necessarily anger outbursts we're dealing with. It's just this, you can tell they're uncomfortable all the time. And a lot of times that irritability is a sign of depression as opposed to, you know, some other anxiety or whatever mm-hmm. else that you could think. So I think that's an, an, kind of an odd symptom in children, but I think it's something we should take into account, especially if there's like a change. If the child is typically irritable when their sister's sitting beside them in the car, that's not the same thing as a child who does not behave that way and suddenly starts acting a little irritated with everything. Do you think that's due to the fact that they don't know how to deal with the emotions? Probably. And they can't always tell you how they feel. You right. know, that's part of the problem with teenagers, too. They just... You'll ask them, and they're like, I don't even, I can't even describe this. Well, children are worse. They just feel bad and don't know how to tell you. When looking at depression, with anything, there's always different strands and different sides of things. Are there different forms of depression? Lots of different forms. The two that you would probably see the most, or I will see the most in my counseling practice, would be major depressive disorder, which um, all the symptoms that I just mentioned, you have to have at least five of those for at least two weeks. So even on this inventory, it says check all the things you've had for at least two weeks. But, um, and that's most of what we see in, in counseling. But there are people who suffer from the same symptoms for longer than that, over two years. That is called persistent depressive disorder. And it is also um, something that you might experience if, it doesn't, if it's not stopping. Because some people have depressed, you know, depressed episodes and they kind of feel better. If you have persistent depressive episodes or persistent depressive disorder, they will never be longer than two months in those two years that you feel any better. With children and adolescents, that's cut down to one year. So if they have all these symptoms for a year and there's not a period of longer than two months that they don't, then they probably have persistent depressive disorder. So there's, there's different kinds. So at what point... Does a parent or a spouse or a friend need to be concerned to the point where that individual needs some form of treatment? Um, That's kind of hard to say because people that are adults make their own choices. Um, So even though you may look at them and say, there is something seriously wrong with you, they may not respond. But I feel like um, that with children and adolescents, that parents need to be watchful for complete changes of behavior. That... They used to be social, but now they're not. They used to love to eat, but now they don't, or they're eating way more than they used to. Um, that they're not sleeping, that they're socially withdrawn. With children, I think it, some of those symptoms are for parents. We're looking, we're not knowing. If they ever, ever say anything like, I don't want to live here anymore, I hate my life, anything that borders on suicidal ideation, I think you should get them checked. For adults, I think that um, the criteria that we use in counseling is great. If, if you're having a sad moment for under two weeks, I'm not sure that's something to be horribly concerned about. Even laying on the couch and not want to do anything. Sometimes when the weather's like this, I don't want to do anything. I kind of just want to stay holed up like a bear and eat chocolate, which I've done a lot this week. Um, but if that lasts longer than a couple of weeks, yeah. It's like, you know, hey, what's going on? Like, you have not gotten up and done, you know, your normal everyday activities. Mm-hmm. Like... Um, if he typically comes home and plays with the kids, you know, and he's not doing that for a longer period of time, not just a couple of weeks, I think I would mention something. Not everyone that has those symptoms, though, requires a counseling visit. I think that, I think that that is determined by the severity of the symptoms. Okay. If they're not moving at all, if they don't want to go to work, if um, they're not sleeping, you can tell, or their their eating habits have completely changed. If they're having those suicidal words, yes, definitely, I think you should recommend it. And if anyone ever says something to you that makes you think that they are 
considering suicide or thinking about suicide imminently, then you can call the authorities. And I, mean, right. I know that people don't think they can do that, but if you have a fear, someone says something to you on the phone that concerns you, we call them well checks, they do them all the time, you just call 911 and say, hey, my friend just said something really scary, and the, the police do not care in our town, I know that we've done it before with people, right. and that's an extreme situation, but I'm, people do get extremely depressed, and when they do, that is a, that's a real danger. So I feel like people should know they can do that, um, and not be afraid to do that, because you never want to, um, Ignore that. That's something you should always, you know, be mindful of, I feel like. So I'm thinking in my mind, and maybe I'm incorrect, but I'm thinking there's treatment that can occur before you get to this explosive moment of calling 911 and the authorities and everybody getting involved. What does treatment look like, um, and is that treatment different for a Christian than it is for a non-Christian? Well, it just depends on the person, because um, I love research, and there is empirical research to support that one of the mental health issues that actually respond to medication is depression. Now, not all people want to take medication. I completely understand that. So that's why they also did research about counseling, and they have found that counseling is almost as um, efficacious as uh, medicine is. Both together sometimes with really severely depressed people is the best option. Uh, But depression is one of those things that, you know, a lot of people, I was telling you about the client that wouldn't get off the couch, um, as a counselor, I don't uh, prescribe medication, and, and I can't even recommend that you take medication, but it is one of the things that we talk about, that this is one of the treatments for depression, and within a couple of weeks, he had gone to his family doctor. Within two months, he was fine, and once, though, it was funny, because once he was fine, which means he was getting up off the couch, he was doing more stuff, then he could kind of talk about what was going on. Before then, he really didn't want to talk about anything, so sometimes the purpose of medication is just to get you kind of leveled off physically and mentally so you can actually say, hey, you know what? This is what's wrong. I'm really not liking my job anymore, and I feel like it's never going to get better so we can work through some of those things. Mm -hmm. Counseling is um, a wonderful way, talk therapy, to uh, manage depression, especially if you are uh, someone who um, feels like it's gotten beyond the point of talking to a good friend or a trusted, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, co-worker. I think it's an awesome thing, and it doesn't last forever, but sometimes it does take a little time, so you kind of have to move and groove with that. Um, the one cool thing I told you about being a Christian is that the Lord Jesus is present yes. with us. He says, the Lord is near. And then he says in Philippians 4, so don't b- worry about anything, right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And those verses are how I sit and talk to people who are depressed in my office. It's like, look, you don't feel good today, but honey, it's coming. Weeping may last for a night, but there is joy in the morning. Now, we're in a process here, and this could take a little while, but we have to believe those promises, and that's what helps us to face the next day. So I feel like as a Christian, like I said, it's like we have the benefit of knowing Christ Jesus. We have the benefit of knowing the healer. When I have people that aren't Christians in my office, which I have quite a few, you know, there's a component to my counseling that I have to stop short of, and I get so sad for them, although sometimes I'll still share with them my own faith because I feel like I have to give them the option if they want it. But not always. Some are very adamantly against it. But I feel like that, you know, just believing that things are going to get better in the future can help people sometimes who don't have that hope, but we have a hope. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. So to me, that makes the difference. And that's why when someone comes in my office and they have anything going on and they say, but I'm a believer, I'm like, yes. I love that. We can use the scripture. We can talk about the Lord. We can pray. And I think that whenever you're going through these things, it's important to tell some trusted people about it. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, the the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous, the Bible says, availeth much. 
So you and I should be ready to pray for people who are in that Absolutely. position and never to accuse them, you know, like you said, or say, you know, what's wrong with you? Or can't you get over this? I think that's a, the thing when people are, it's taking longer than they think. I think we have to be careful about that. But I feel like as Christians that we have a lot of tools that others, you know, don't know about yet. I hope sure. they find out that Absolutely. we can pray and the scripture reading and the encouraging that we can give in the spirit is, to me, it's invaluable to people who are depressed. You referenced the scripture a few moments ago. Sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Right. What I find interesting about that scripture is morning occurs when you wake up. Yes. So for some of us, it, it would require that moment of counseling, that processing through right. for you to get to the point where you mentally wake up. I would agree. Where you realize there is an end to the, there is, right. there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the answer to exactly. what I need. Exactly. And there is a beginning because a lot of people, you know, we go through life and we go and go and go and go and go. And then one day we just kind of lose it. It's like, I can't do this anymore. And God also wants us to go back. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any evil way in me. If someone has hurt me and I'm not recognizing it, if I've hurt someone else and I'm not recognizing it, that can cause depression in people. Absolutely. And then lead me in the way everlasting. So in my counseling, we always go back to go forwards. But always moving forward with hope because we know that Christ Jesus is going to heal us. He's going to heal us one way or another. He's Absolutely. so good. So I love him. <laughs> All right. Can we give Jan a round of applause? Thank you, Amen. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You need to... All, right. All right. Thank you so much, Jan. I appreciate your help this morning. Now that we've talked about the practical thing and we looked at all the wisdom that Jan had to bring to the table, let's look at the Word of God. What does the Bible have to say about depression? How does that look to your life? What does that look like in my life today? Well, I want to turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 42, and I want to read about eight verses to you this morning, if I may. Beginning at verse 3, it says this, Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? By the way, this was written for the choir director. Okay, this was written for the guy that was going to lead us in worship. Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walk among the crowds of worshipers leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of the great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Now I'm deeply discouraged. But I remember you, even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as the waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day, listen carefully, each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. 
Here's what I see in this section of Scripture. The psalmist is experiencing a battle with depression. And as the writer is processing through life, we can see that he looks toward God as a very distant, far-off God. They wandered to themselves, says, God abandoned me. Why is he so far away? How do I know that he sees God so far away? Because he uses, in the original language, the word El or Elohim. He uses it 20 times in the word Jehovah simply once. Let me explain why this is important. Because some of you right now are like, well, that makes no difference to me because I don't understand those words at all. The word El or Elohim is the general name for God. It emphasizes God as distant, as powerful, as awesome, or even the majestic creator, a a far-off God. He is not near, but he's done great and mighty things, but not anywhere right here. There's no personal connection. This section of Psalms, on the other hand, is very, very personal. In fact, 50 times the psalmist uses personal pronouns in this section of Scripture. Now in verse 8, he steps up just for a moment. He's overwhelmed with this personal connection with God, with Jehovah, the personal side of God. And he says, but each day, the Lord pours out his unfailing love upon me. I want to very quickly look at four observations of depression And this baggage that it creates. Number one is this. Depression can destroy your now. Let me say that again. Depression can destroy your now. The psalmist says in verse 4, My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. He's saying, if I could just get back to the way it was, if I could just get back to the point before I faced this depression, if I could just get back to the point when everything was good, if I could just get back to the good old days, then everything would be all right. If I could just return back to that moment, I remember what it used to be like. Not a care in the world. Everything was going great. If I could just get back. He says, I remember how it used to be. I walk among the crowds of worshipers. And I began to look at this. And I thought, how sad a moment that is. Because suddenly, this psalmist is comparing himself to everyone else. I I walk around all of these worshipers. I'm just not as good as they are. I'm never really going to measure up to what what they bring to the table. I just can't present myself as good as they do to God. I'm just not that good. I don't have it all together. I'm just a mess. I walk among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. So suddenly it goes from dreaming of a day gone by to comparing himself to those around and and understanding or in his own mind thinking, I just can't measure up. And now he says, so I'll just put on this false front. I'll just fake it. 
No one will know the difference. Maybe I can fool them. Maybe they'll like me if I act like all of them, if I can just be what they are, if I can just mirror what they're doing. Their right hand's raised, so my right hand's raised. They're singing out loud, so, so I'll sing out loud. They were a crowd of worshipers. It's, it's a celebration, so maybe I should just put a smile on my face and celebrate like they are. But then I find the second observation. Depression can cause frustration. He's gone through this myriad of emotions of, man, if I could just get back there, I can't measure up to them. I'm going to fake it. But then he realizes that's causing more depression. I'm just so frustrated. Look what he says in verse 5. Why am I so discouraged? Why am I like this? I shouldn't be like this. I've got great people around me. I shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't be thinking these thoughts. I shouldn't be experiencing that. I go to church every week. Why? I'm a Christian. Why am I facing discouragement? The joy of the Lord is my strength, right? God is my foundation, right? He's my security, right? I shouldn't be facing this. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Again, seems to be no hope for life. Nothing's working out right. No real signs of improvement. Faking it's not working. I don't understand why I'm discouraged. I I just don't understand why I'm going through all of this. Why can't I get past it? It's just so frustrating. I hate being depressed. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? But then the third observation is this. Depression can take you to a dark and lonely place. Look what he says. Now I'm deeply discouraged. Have you seen the progression here? Look at this. He goes from day and night, I have only tears for food. And then he says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And now he says, now I'm deeply discouraged. I'm reminded of the 23rd Psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of death, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Now, some translations say it this way, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's a discouraging place. Seems to be no life. Seems to be no hope. Jan said a moment ago, Satan's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. He will do anything he can to get you to that place, that valley of the shadow of death. He will do anything he can to get you to that deep, dark discouragement, that moment when it seems like there's no hope, no way of moving on. But look what this verse goes on to say. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Why? For you are close beside me. Who's close beside us? God. 
The Bible says he will never leave us. He will never abandon us. He will never forsake us. He will never turn his back on us. In fact, he will pave the way before us. He will go and set up shop for us. He will get everything ready for us. Why? Because he loves you. Tells me he's concerned about everything you're going through. He's concerned about that dark valley that you're experiencing. He's concerned about the deep discouragements that you're facing. But here's what I want you to understand. Depression is full of lies. Let me say that again. Depression is full of lies. God is not a far off distant God. He's Jehovah. He's God that's close by us. Yes, he's majestic. Yes, he's all of these other things. He's mighty. He's a creator. But he's a loving personal God. In fact, by definition, God himself is love. God loves you. You're not walking through this dark valley by yourself. You're not facing this baggage and this discouragement all alone. Over and over and over, the psalmist says, I don't know why I'm discouraged. Why am I feeling all this doubt? Why am I so depressed? I just don't get it. Over and over, these lies from the devil keep resurfacing in his life. A wave of faith and a wave of doubt. Moments of victory. Moments of despair. In fact, 11 times he questions God. 11 times. He says, God, why aren't you hear me? Why aren't you here anymore? Why aren't you doing anything? God, you're my rock. Why have you forgotten all about me? Maybe that's the conversation that you've had with God recently. God, you're supposed to be my rock. Why, why do you not hear me? God, I feel like I'm crying out. I'm just hitting this brick wall and nothing's really breaking through. I want you to understand this morning, God has not abandoned you. God has not turned his back upon you. Pastor Andy said it moments ago, there's absolutely nothing that can separate you from God's love. No amounts of discouragements, no amounts of doubts, no amounts of strife, No matter how heavy the baggage may become, it will never, ever, 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 ever separate you from the love of God. Look what the psalmist says in verse 8. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. I can hear what you're thinking right now. Pastor, I don't feel that love. In fact, I feel just the opposite. I feel all alone. I feel abandoned. I feel pushed to the side. I just don't feel that love. I I know, Pastor, it sounds really good on paper, but each day the Lord pours out his unfailing love upon us. The Bible even says his mercies are new every morning. I understand. I've read it, Pastor, but I just don't feel it. Well, you've got to look at the second half of this same verse. But each day the Lord pours out his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. For the wages of sin is death, 
But the free gift of God is life. Satan's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Christ's purpose is to give life and life more abundantly. Come on, look at this. So each night, through the night, I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Look at that. In the midst of the loneliness, in the midst of the darkest shadows of death, in the midst of all the darkness, in the midst of the doubt and the despair, the psalmist understood the importance of connection, not to a far-off, distant God, but to a personal, loving God. I hate the song from the 80s, Bette Midler sang. God is watching you from what? Wrong. God's not watching you from a distance. God's not sitting out on the edge of heaven with binoculars going, okay, I think I can focus in here. I think I've, yes, that's Justin. No. God's right here. You make a step to the left, guess what? God's right there. You make a step to the right, God's right there. You trip and you fall in that hole, God's there to reach down and pick you up. It's a connection with a loving, personal God. He understood that in order to connect to God, there will be a level of determination. In fact, four times in this chapter, and again once in chapter 43, he takes a moment, even though it's difficult, to make that connection with God. Look at this. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Over and over and over, He says, I will praise the Lord. Once again, I'm going to step forward. Once again, I'm going to plant my feet in the ground. Once again, I'm going to call out to God. Satan, you have no authority in my life. Oh, let me say, say that for a moment. Some of you, are convinced that Satan is going to win in your life. But can I just tell you something? Satan has no authority in your life. He's a fallen angel. And if you read the end of the book, he loses. But greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Depression is full of lies. Four times, he takes a moment to press forward to make that connection with God. Why? Because here's what I've discovered. There's power in praise. Why? Why is there power in praise? Because suddenly in the midst of that praise, in the midst of giving God glory, you get to focus off of yourself. You get to focus off of your situation and onto the solution. And how many you know when you look to the solution, things begin to change? And here's the fourth observation that I see. Depression is not your baggage to carry. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not your baggage. Look at the person on the other side. Say, put it down. It's not your baggage to carry. Look at this. Verse 11. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my 
God. There's a very important word here, the word again. I will praise him again. That means I've done this once before and I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep pressing forward. I'm determined to walk forward. I'm going to draw a line in the sand. I'm not going behind it anymore. I'm going to press forward to the things of God. I will praise him again. Several times in this verse, we see this worship leader pressing in with determination I will put my hope in God I will praise him over and over and over again why does he keep repeating this honestly because life's not fair because every time he gets to that place when he's ready to jump that hurdle and everything is going great something walks up and goes face plant but he gets up and he says why am I discouraged Why is my heart so sad? God, I'm going to give you praise. God, I'm going to give you the glory you deserve. God, once again, I'm going to proclaim that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. God, I'm going to give it to you one more time because you are the ultimate authority in my life. Lord, I surrender it to you. Even when life's not fair, God is still there. Why should we worship? Because victory is on the other side of praise. I'm going to quote Jan for a moment if I could. We were texting back and forth this week prior to meeting together. And she stated something in the text. And she didn't know I was going to quote her until I sent her my message. And she's like, oh, I see you quoted me. Faith and believing God's word is a shortcut to healing. Faith and believing God's word. Every promise in this book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. Faith, what is faith? It's believing those things I can't yet see. You're facing depression this morning, you're facing discouragement this morning. Right now in your mind, you're having a hard time seeing a solution on the other side. You're having a hard time understanding that things can get better. Faith, believing what you can't see. Believing God's word, it's a shortcut to healing. So so let me ask this. Does that mean that we just ignore the professionals? Do we ignore things that what Jan had to say? Do we say, well, that was nice and that was good. That was a lot of brain knowledge she shared, but not for me. I'm just going to trust God. Do we forego any medication and say, well, I I don't need medication. I'm just going to trust God. No, I don't think that's the case. Because with any illness, I believe that God has given men and women knowledge and understanding. By the way, if I get a sinus infection... Yes, I will pray, but I will also go to the doctor, and I'll get one of those little antibiotic things, and I'll take that, and it's going to nip that thing right in the bud, as Barney Fife would have said. So why is it that with something like depression, we say, well, we just need to believe God? Because you see, sometimes I believe God uses the doctor to get us to where we need to be. Yes? 
Sometimes he uses a counseling session. Because sometimes we just bottled that junk up on the inside. And I believe that problem is going to get worse and worse because we're raising a generation of, of students, young adults. They don't know how to communicate. So they bottle up all the emotions. And every once in a while they'll put some mean emojis on Facebook and, and they call that their venting moment. But it's not really venting. It's still bottled up. You see, there are times that we've got to communicate and, and get that out. So we need the professionals. But let me give you a couple scriptures. I believe here's a great solution. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. A final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Can I just be honest with you this morning? I believe that depression is a strategy of the devil. Let me say that again. I believe that depression is a strategy of the devil. I believe that Satan will use depression to derail you, to get you off track. So you get to that moment, you say, why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? But you fail to get to the place where you say, but Lord, I will give you praise. We hang out in the valley of the shadow of death. But he says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Paul is very clear here that we're fighting a battle, including depression. We're fighting a battle every day against Satan, against the adversary, against our enemy. But again, he has no authority over you. 1 Samuel chapter 30 says this, And David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him. What was stoning? Stoning was taking big rocks and throwing at him until he died. That would be a moment to be, a reason to be distressed, right? He was greatly distressed, or people were talking about taking big rocks and throwing them at him until he died, because all the people were bitter, bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But here's what I want you to hear. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now the word used here is the same word that the psalmist used. It's the word Jehovah. He strengthened himself in a loving, personal God. I want you to understand something this morning. Your strength your encouragements, your way out of this dark valley may require, most likely will require, more than your own personal strength. Some of you are pretty bold. Some of you can push pretty far. But I know that God can do more. David was a man's man. Remember he killed Goliath when he was just a teenager? He's a man's man. Here it said he's distressed because people were going to throw big rocks at him. Not just those little boulders, he, little pellets he was throwing at Goliath. Big old rocks. And he says he received his strength. He received his encouragement. He received what he needed 
from a loving, personal Jehovah God. My strength and your strength is found in and only in the arms of a loving God. This morning, I don't know what you're facing. Maybe you're watching on Facebook live and you couldn't even get out of out of bed this morning. You're watching on, on your phone while lying in bed. Maybe you're here and you didn't want to come. You tried to come up with every excuse possible. You looked out and said, oh, well, there's ice out there. I'm not going to church. But for some reason or another, you got up and you came to church. Can I, want, can I just tell you and I want you to hear something this morning? God hears your cry. He sees you in that dark valley. And you know what the Bible tells me? That Jesus is the light of the world. That Jesus wants to walk beside you in that dark valley. He wants to become your lights. He wants to illuminate that around you. To give you the hope. To give you the joy. It may require a little bit of walking to get out of the valley. It may not be an instantaneous. Can God do it instantaneous? Yes. Will he? I don't know. See, sometimes God answers prayers immediately. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. Why? Because sometimes we need to learn a couple things before we get to the other side. But what I do know is we can trust him. God, I, why, God, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? God, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to sing glory and honor to you once again. Because, Lord, I know that you're going to get me out of this dark valley. God, you're going to bring me to the other side of this mountain. Would you pray?